welcome to Biblical Brainstorm, the Seth and Chandler podcast. This is our 15th episode, and I'm super excited to uh, begin a new series. Um, Seth is running a little bit late. He had a uh, commitment prior thing come up, so he's uh, he'll be about two, three minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and kick us off here. And uh, yeah, I'm actually super excited for this series. Um, this is our Natural Theology series. So I'll go ahead and put it on the bottom here. So 15, Natural Theology Series, Part 1. This will be our introductory episode. Um, and so this won't be a lengthy episode by any means. This will kind of be more of an overview going over the introduction and everything. Um, but it'll be, we'll be in this for the next two months. Okay, so it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, we'll cover the different arguments for God's existence and... Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be going over just the various aspects of natural theology, how it's supported in the Bible. I'll have a few references today, um, so yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, as a baseline, we are going th- um, through together, me and Seth, a book on natural theology, and so this will be kind of our baseline. If you can see from the screen, the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology by William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland. So this is a, uh, it's a good book. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a little complicated, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I definitely recommend it just from the little bit I've already read already. Um, I'm very familiar with, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with William Lane Craig or J.P. Moreland. Both of them are Christian uh, philosophers. They're also, uh, you know, quote, unquote, apologists. And they, uh, I've read J.P. Moreland's um, Loving God With All Your Mind book. And I know William Lane Craig, a lot of his material, I've watched his debates with atheists. Um, he's written a ton of books like or contributed or written about over 50 books. Um, so, yeah, both of them are definitely qualified for uh, the material that they talk about in this book. But they're not the only contributors. There's um, a lot of other contributors, uh, chapters devoted to specific arguments for God's existence. Um, and so, yeah. But before we even get to that, let me see. I want to, um, as a baseline, you know, when we talk about natural theology, right, and this idea of, you know, arguments for God's existence outside of the Bible, you know, you might think, okay, well, there's hidden assumptions with, like, underlying that on, you know, between naturalism, you know, is, is the natural world all that there is? Is there more? Obviously, uh, you know, there's certain reasoning behind all of this. Um, But I think it's just good to just start out with the laws of logic um, as a baseline to uh, to kind of um, ground anything that we're going to talk about for the next two months, which will be really exciting. So first off, the laws of logic, you got to start there. So there's, um, you know, there's the laws of nature and those things are, you know, within the natural world that kind of hold the world together, right? The laws of gravity, you know, et cetera. Um, but the laws of logic or the laws of thought, they're kind of like a, a higher, higher thing a little bit. These are assumptions. These are philosophical groundings for science itself. So you can't even do science without the um, philosophy uh, underneath that, holding it together. Math, philosophy, you know, the deeper... Uh, deeper things there. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the most complex things that we're going to cover in this series. 
Um, this will be, even though we're biblical brainstorm, we do want to cover other things that have to do with theology or especially history. But in this case, in this next series for the next two months, it'll be more philosophy and um, like scientifically based. So this will probably be the most we venture into this field, <laughs> per se, uh, as far as philosophy and science. And then we will return back into the, you know, more of the history, theology, Bible stuff. Um, after that with the book of Genesis series. So we definitely have a lot of cool things lined up there. Um, but yeah, for the next two months, we'll be here in the whole philosophy science. If you guys are that kind of minded person, uh, if you like science, if you like philosophy, uh, it's not our strong suit by any means, but uh, we do enjoy covering uh, those subjects. And so I think you guys will actually benefit a lot uh, realizing that there are actually arguments outside of the Bible itself that support um, the existence of God, theism, as it's called. Um, you probably heard of atheism. Well, theism would be, of course, the opposite of that. Um, so, yeah. So, starting with the laws of logic, which, again, are kind of the foundation for all of this, right? We have uh, the three traditional laws of thought, which I thought it'd be good to cover. Um, these are the law of identity. So, and this one is pretty simple. It's the first one. Um, whatever is, is. <laughs> So a lot, a lot of these things just seem like on the surface, um, kind of a, uh, yeah, like a no brainer, a very just practical things, but there's actually a lot of thought put into these, these laws of logic and thought, you know, over thousands of years, um, you know, in human history, these are, these are things that have been over and over again, argued about, you know, the whole defining terms, philosophy and, uh, it, formulating these laws of logic, right? Um, there are other laws of logic. I'm, you know, I'm talking about the traditional laws of thought. So we have, of course, rules of inference and that that's the whole thing, you know, we're not gonna get into with the whole P then Q, you know, if P then Q kind of deal. Um, so there will be arguments for God's existence that we do get into um, later that, uh, you know, as we go through, progress through the weeks, that will involve those types of arguments, those uh, deductive arguments. And so um, we'll get into it then, but as kind of an introduction, um, we won't really cover laws of, or rules of inference today. But the, the, again, the three traditional laws of thought, one is the law of identity. And so the law of non-contradiction is the second. And so the law of non-contradiction is nothing can both be and not be. Pretty simple again. Um, I can't be alive and dead simultaneously, right? I have to be one or the other. I can't, uh, you know, be and not be, um, for example, you know, um, th this, you know, I'm either holding this water bottle or I'm not. <laughs> so it's just things are either are or not. Uh, the, the law of uh, non-contradiction. Things cannot be contradictory. And so this actually, this will come up uh, sometimes because people make contradictory statements or they have contradictory conclusions to um, and what, you know, and what they talk about. Uh, arguments that they have for or against a certain thing, um, you have to make sure that there's no hidden assumptions or contradictions within those arguments. And uh, so that's a big one. And then the third one is kind of like the second um, the law of excluded middle. Uh, this is, uh, it sounds a little bit like the first, but it's a little different. I'll explain why. So everything must be or not be. Um, 
so in this case, you know, law of excluded middle. So let's just say uh, you can't have a married bachelor, right? So you're either a <laughs> married or a bachelor. You can't be, you know, there's no third category there, right? You uh, you have to be one one or the other, especially when those things are opposite, right? So laws of excluded middle, there's no middle category. There's no third option. Uh, like there's, um, you know, it's either it must, everything must be or not be, okay? So again, they're kind of similar, but a little bit different. Uh, this is actually a good comment. A equals B and B equals C, therefore A cannot equal C kind of thing, yeah. Um, the the whole, again, the laws of logic, the laws of thought type of deal, that's that's type, the type of uh, stuff we'll be going into. And so all of the arguments that we go through, and when I say argument, it's not like, you know, there's a negative connotation to that word, but it's, uh, it, these are just like evidence for God's existence per se, right? These are formulations of, again, arguments is the best way I could put it, but without the negative connotation um, for God's existence or for theism, right? And so some of these will lead to Christianity. Some of these are just simply deistic or theistic arguments, um, very general, but they, uh, again, they, they're arguments for God's existence and some of which are also for the Christian God in general. So I'm really excited to go through these. Um, so all of the arguments will obviously have to filter through this, um, these laws of, of thought and logic, because again, that is the foundation that, you know, of even thought and logic self of life. So all of them have to, again, be coherent, have to be logically coherent. Okay. You can't just have circular reasoning, which I'll talk a little bit about today. Um, you can't have arguments that again, violate these three laws of, of um, not nature, but of thought, of logic, the law of identity, the law of non-contradiction, and the law of excluded middle. So that is the, what we will filter those through. Um, there's also a difference between, and if any of you guys are confused, for those who are live here on, on this, if any of you guys uh, need me to explain something more, uh, feel free to comment. Uh, you guys can comment and ask questions on here live. It's part of why we do it live as well. Um, but moving on, the, the, there's uh, deductive arguments and inductive arguments. And so most of these arguments for God's existence, these come from, these are deductive arguments, right? These are ideas which are then, um, you know, formulated and, and compared with evidence, right? Uh, especially, in, you know, philosophical evidence, mostly. Um, but then even scientific, when we get to like things like the teleological argument and stuff. Um, and you might say, well, okay, what's the difference between inductive and deductive arguments? Um, well, one, um, I'm glad you asked, so I'll, I'll uh, bring that up here. Uh, this is a helpful image for me. So, inductive reasoning versus deductive reasoning, right? Um, inductive reasoning is someone who... It, uses inductive reasoning or someone who uses inductive reasoning makes uh, specific observations and then draws a general conclusion. So this is science, right? So when you think inductive reasoning, you should uh, immediately start thinking the scientific method, okay? The scientific method is really this, um, is observation based. So if I am, it's like a ground up approach. So I'm not starting with 
per se an idea. And I guess the scientific method is a formulation of some level of idea or hypothesis. So there's kind of a merging between the, you know, or the use of inductive and deductive reasoning here when you do science. But in inductive reasoning is the idea of I test something, um, then I see what the evidence yields from that experimentation. And then I, again, I draw conclusions from that and, uh, and ideas and theories and hypotheses, right? So that's, uh, it's, it's a ground up approach, right? This is inductive reasoning. This is observation based. Now, then you have deductive reasoning, which is a, again, a specific conclusion follows a general theory. So it's a, a top down approach. So you start with the idea or the theory and you kind of work your way through logically if it's coherent and then compare it with the specific evidence that you see. Uh, and then again, drawing conclusions. Um, I like uh, th this image probably is a little more um, beneficial when explaining this uh, for those who are watching instead of just listening. But the idea is you have uh, a deduction, right? A deductive argument or reasoning is starts with the idea, like I said, um, as an example, all men are mortal, right? And then you have the observations that uh, Jason is a man, okay? And then the conclusion, therefore, is Jason is mortal. So a lot of this is just simple things, and you might uh, be getting flashbacks to school <laughs> of, of your time in, in college or high school or whatever you might have might have learned logic. I learned it my first freshman year. We had a, had a not a logic course, but kind of like a math course that had like a third of it was logic, um, which was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, this is this is pretty basic, understandable things, uh, but it'll just help as a foundation for the rest of the weeks that we actually go through these, because again, this is the foundation for that, right? There's philosophical foundations or assumptions uh, even before you get to the actual arguments for or against God's existence or, or things or Christianity. So, and then you have induction, you know, inductive arguments, reasoning, which starts with the observations. Like I said, you were, you know, the whole experimentation, observation idea. Uh, as an example, I break out when I eat peanuts. Okay, so you notice that I'm breaking out when I eat peanuts. That's an observation. And then you have this analysis, which is, you know, this kind of mental um, kind of not observation, um, reasoning, I guess you could say, formulate, you know, formulating um, the, the cause and effect of it, the analysis. This is, um, by example, this is a symptom of being allergic, right? So obviously you're now making some reasoning here based on what you just observed. Uh, and then the theory, which is then formulated out of that, I am allergic to peanuts, therefore, right? Because this, uh, that's an inductive approach. It's a, a ground up. You notice, you observe something, then you kind of analyze it, and then you come up with that conclusion. Um, so that's inductive. And then what science would say, the scientific method, that would be where you're repeatedly doing experimentation, right? So you observe it and then you analyze, and then what do you do? Well, you try to do it again and you do repeated experimentation of what you can observe, right? That is therefore, um, you know, how you, how you come to a more precise conclusion. The more you test something, the greater, um, accuracy, I guess you have the greater confidence you could have that the... Uh, that the conclusion is true, right? And going back to the first image here, I liked this because it, it says, no matter how unrealistic that sounds, 
in many fields, such as uh, science and law, proof simply doesn't exist. Now, I know what it's saying here. It's not saying proof it as the word shouldn't be used, but what it's getting at here, proof simply doesn't exist. There can only be facts and evidence that lead you to certain conclusions. So there will be oftentimes that uh, somebody may be watching this when we go through the weeks of, of these different arguments for God's existence. So you might think, well, that doesn't prove anything to me, right? Now, proof is sort of arbitrary, right? Everybody has their own level of proof, per se, right? Like, I, you know, things that uh, different levels of, of uh, I guess you could say like a wall, right, of what you're willing to accept and not accept as proof for different things, okay? And some people's proof meter might be higher than others when it comes to um, certain subjects, especially even given this one when we're talking about God and Christianity. So you might think, oh, well, this is... Uh, this may prove something to me or not. Now, but the question is not whether there is quote unquote proof for something. The What actually matters is what does the evidence say? And then based on the evidence, inductive, or of course the conclusions for that, um, deductive reasoning, what is the facts and evidence about that certain thing? Where does it, uh, you know, what does that show? Does it support one conclusion over another. And so all of these, um, you know, in kind of humble way, these are probabilistic arguments. So you might say, well, there's no 100% certainty about these things. Well, certainty is overrated, one, uh, or there's no proof. But the fact is that a lot of these things that we'll bring up in the coming weeks is that um, a lot of these arguments support theism over atheism, right? So does based on the evidence, what is more reasonable, that God exists or not exists? Well, you'll see that the most reasonable conclusion is that God exists, right? Um, hold on here. I'm going to bring Seth in. He is here. What is up? What's up, everybody? What's up, Chandler? Nothing much, man. Just uh, going through uh, you know, some of the introductory stuff that we are kicking off our new series. So Awesome. Sorry to be joining you guys late. Uh, I've had a rough work schedule this week, so I'm getting going a little slow today. So, <laughs> but gotcha. uh, yeah, happy to be with you guys. Happy to be back on for yet another week of brainstorming. So, yeah, you uh, said you were like working crazy overtime or something. Oh yeah, it's I work at Amazon. Uh, for those of you that don't know, and of course with the Prime Day and everything, uh, we've we're working a lot of overtime. So it's it's been I crazy. Even forgot about Prime Day. <laughs> I haven't even really looked to see what's on sale, so I don't even know what's going on. But, but you're shipping uh, the packages, though. <laughs> but I'm packing it, and I'm shipping it. That's for sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, so, so, yeah, sorry I'm, about getting I'm on late, guys. I'm thankful for my packages, that's for sure. My Amazon. Oh, Prime. yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> Got that yeah, student though. membership. Oh, yeah. So, yeah We're even not sponsored though, by even Amazon, by the way. Yeah. I wish. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm definitely... Uh, I make it harder on myself, if you will, because I keep ordering. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I know it's like if you pay Amazon, it's like you're paying your own paycheck essentially if you order something. Yeah, that's kind of true. Mean, <laughs> in, a way, in, a way, in a way, in a way, at that point, you just get into like so many zeros of like, well, this is point zero 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 right <laughs> of my revenue. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, All right. So, so where are we at? So I went through um, the laws of logic, the laws of thought, right? Some of okay. those things as a foundation for um, 
where we, you know, the arguments themselves for God's existence. Okay. Um, somebody says, yay, Pastor Seth. <laughs> What's up, your review? Yeah, it's just not the same when it's one of us. It's got to be It's got to be the duo, right? I know. You can't, well, I was going to say you can't have Batman without Robin, but they did that, so that's not a good analogy. <laughs> well, you can't <laughs> have peanut butter without jelly. That's true. I, that would, I wore that a purple would, shirt, so. That'd be really bad, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also wore, a, I noticed, noticed a Sagu shirt just to keep encouraging right. you to move out here. <laughs> well, I am wearing a Cowboys hat. You know, I might as well just wear a... <laughs> Like a, a Sagu shirt or anything Texas related uh, it, for every week until you actually move here. <laughs> Peer pressure. <laughs> yeah. Subliminal messages, kind of like what Disney does. <laughs> I will now assault your mind with subliminal messages. Honestly, Spon- that's that's a thing. Well, that's a SpongeBob quote. Yeah. Somebody says cream cheese and bacon. That's another combo. I don't yeah, even like cream one. cheese, though. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I like it on my bagels. That's about it. Or yeah. as an ingredient in something. I mean, you don't call them bagels? <laughs> bagels? Um, well, you know, that's... Uh, <laughs> the bagels. I, I call them bagels, but I just find it hilarious when people call them bagels. People actually uh, call it that? That's a, yeah, people call them bagels. <laughs> uh, so, so I went over these images too, and so okay. obviously inductive versus deductive reasoning, and so a lot of the arguments that we go through for existence... Um, and it's not about proof. It's about what does the evidence point to? What is the facts and evidence gotcha. point to um, what conclusion, right? So if you have mm-hmm. two, um, let's just say a dichotomy here of atheism versus uh, theism, right? Okay. Um, now you weigh the evidence. Now, which one is, which conclusion is more reasonable based on the evidence? And we will argue in this series that theism and Christianity are the most coherent um, conclusions based on the evidence, right? Both philosophically, right. scientifically, uh, historically, yeah. uh, et cetera. So that's, uh, that's where we're at there. Okay. And then I want to, again, uh, just show that for you guys joining in, that this is the book that we're basing a lot of the stuff. Obviously, we're using a lot of outside material as well, so we're not yeah. just going through this, but this is a good baseline for um, the arguments that we will be going through for God's existence in this natural theology series. So, again, this is a great book, Natural Theology, by, edited by William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland and other contributors as well. Right. Um, so, yeah. You're going through the introduction. Um, it was really good. And going through just the first bit of it um, is definitely, they bring out some good points. And it, uh, you know, definitely reminds me back in the, my school days all of the uh, academic language <laughs> so getting back yeah. into getting my brain back in shape for the academic reading so yeah. uh, but i know we went over a lot of this uh, kind of natural theology stuff in some of my uh, systematic theology classes um and just christian theology classes you know talking about the different arguments and cosmological mm-hmm. ontological um even at a christian ethics class going over you know ethical arguments and that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it's very interesting and um yeah, I know you've got a lot of good stuff too. I mean, you're, as I like to say, you're the brains of biblical brainstorm, and I'm just the storm. So <laughs> oh, we're both braining, braining and storming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I actually was introduced to these arguments, some of them through um, just not growing up, but I, I've heard some of these before, one way or another. But most, yeah. but mostly formulated in such a way of like an actual argument. 
uh, okay. was by William Lane Craig. So it's funny enough that years ago, whenever I discovered him, probably mm-hmm. like, I want to say five years ago, four years ago, maybe. Um, that's when I started to dive in a little bit more into this side of Christianity, the natural theology side, uh, okay. more into the philosophical and scientific stuff. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I actually met William Lane Craig when really? I was uh, probably like 10 years ago. Uh, really? Or something like that. How'd that but, happen? I, but I didn't know who he was at the time. <laughs> actually, it was like 12 years ago. It was probably more. No, it was like 10. Uh, so I was at a, a broadcast convention, National Religious Broadcast Convention, which is actually happening right now this week. And I'll actually be really? there tomorrow, but he, he probably won't be there, though. Uh, oh, but man. he just so happened to be at this convention mm. like 10 years ago, just wow. uh, just walking around talking. And my dad was like, he, he barely, he, cut, he knew him. Um, yeah. Maybe not as like well-versed in his material at that point. Yeah, um, but he knew he him and he was like, Hey, uh, you're, you're going to want to know who this guy is. Uh, mm. you know? And so I'm like, oh, okay. And apparently we met him and that's know, pretty cool. But, but I you just, don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Well, I know I remember meeting him vaguely deep in my memory, but yeah. like just kind of like, I didn't know who he was at the time. And then now, like after like four years ago or so, like getting introduced to all of his stuff, right. uh, I was like, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> I, I similar, kind of thing, similar kind of thing happened to me before. Uh, we went to, not in theology, uh, we went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the year Troy Aikman, John Madden, Warren Moon, and um, Reggie White, and I can't remember who the others were. They That's were getting inducted class. into the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> it was in 2006, so I was – uh let's see i was 10 i think nine or 10 depending on what time of year it was and apparently so my dad of course is enjoying the heck out of it he's a huge cowboys fan so seeing troy aikman going in and john madden being uh he's just john madden (laughs) what hasn't he done and uh all these other guys so of course he's joining it like crazy and me and my brother are little and we don't know what the heck's going on but apparently we're walking by charles haley emmett smith uh jerry jones and all these incredible legends and had no idea who they were and we were just complaining that we were hot and hungry (laughs) and my dad being a good dad you know made sure he took care of us and didn't you know put his fanboying footballness in front but uh you know, it was it was a pretty great class. I just wish that I would have been older so I could have appreciated it more. Yeah, it's always <laughs> how it happens. You know? We did meet Kevin Green though, like actually meet him. We were um, who he actually he actually passed away I think earlier this year, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, but he was a linebacker for the Steelers and the Packers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, we were just in the Hall of Fame looking around at some different exhibits and stuff, and he walked by and commented on our jerseys and was messing with us because we were little. And my dad, of course, knew who he was. We didn't know who he was. And afterwards, he's like, do you know who that was? <laughs> so, And then he ended up going into the Hall of Fame a few years ago. So, you know, it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. But those things that uh, – those meetings that you uh, have when you're a kid and you don't really realize what just happened, but it was pretty mm-hmm. a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had a – I guess that moment, and then I met a professional football player when I was younger as well, a little bit longer, younger than that. But anyways, with him, like somebody like William Lane Craig, um, obviously he's not the only person I have like read the material on since then, but he's yeah. been pretty much, he was, I guess, the first. And he's, he's still his stuff is still good. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we're going through a lot of his book there, but like I said, him, JP Moreland, some of the contributors and a lot of outside stuff we'll be drawing from for these two, you know, various things. We might, yeah. might have interviews as well. We'll, we'll see uh, who we can also get on here, uh, you know, for different arguments of God's existence. But yeah. we, uh, we are excited to just go through it for the next two months. And then at some point go through Genesis, probably in August, September. And yeah. So yeah, yeah I know the Genesis one. will definitely be fun. Um, and of course, you know, getting into this kind of stuff where you're mm-hmm. getting into the weeds, it uh, it sounds intimidating at first. So if you're listening because you're not sure what's going on and you're hearing all this stuff. Yeah, you know, there'll be a lot of terms, a lot yeah. of terminology <laughs> that will be unfamiliar maybe to most. It um, sounds intimidating, but we'll do our best to, you know, explain it for you guys to understand. For those of you that aren't, that don't have any kind of theological academic background and like me and Chandler said, we're not, you know, PhDs. We're not, we don't claim to know it all. So we're learning too, but we'll, like I said, we'll do our best to, you know, explain it to you guys. But um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of good stuff. So don't feel too intimidated. You know, we want to make it, you know, understandable mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. Like I said, this will be the most philosophically and um, scientifically based. And today's episode won't go too long. This is more of like an overview introduction, kickstart kind of our series. Next week, we will begin with the cosmological arguments for God's existence. Uh, which is pretty exciting. Big words. Um, big words, yeah. And we'll explain <laughs> it then, but yeah. it's kind of a general overview. Uh, I wanted to read the first little bit, like two sentences of chapter one uh, okay. of, the, of the book, which is really good. Just to kind of define what natural theology is, um, yeah. because maybe you guys are unfamiliar with what that even means, right? And so natural theology, and you, you think apologetics maybe sometimes comes to mind. So apologetics is the defending of the faith, Right. And, you know, is the faith of Christianity coherent? Okay. Obviously, we believe it is and show why. Um, But the natural theology, hold on, I'm just going to pull it up here. The first, so according to chapter one, if it'll look, have it on PDF. Okay. Uh, Chapter one, so natural theology is the practice of philosophically reflecting on the existence and nature of God independent of real or apparent divine revelation or scripture. So again, we have scripture, right? We have the Bible right here. Mm-hmm. This is this is revelation. Jesus of course is the greatest greatest revelation coming in the flesh. Um this is not necessarily like a religious experience or anything like mm-hmm. that even though we will cover arguments for miracles and religious experience. Um but natural theology would be in, in in a sense uh, not scripture or not not the Bible, not Revelation, uh, in that sense, right? So it's very, um, I guess again more literal. philosophically. Or I was going to say it's a little bit more uh, literal when you say natural, it meaning more so like physical, natural physical, world, yeah. and not more of like an abstract kind of a concept thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for of course the philosophy part, which is more abstract, oh. but the scientifically. <laughs> Based yeah. stuff would be yeah more yeah. physical right and that so when it's coming from like the physical arguments of you know creation um, teleological uh, stuff and, yeah you know, things like that so so that's uh, for those of you you know wondering you know why why it be called natural or why it's called natural theology it's coming more mm-hmm. from you know physical world argument like pointing back to the Bible almost like reverse mm-hmm. engineering in a way yeah and it's also there's distinctions some people say special revelation as well. Um, this oh, yeah. in general revelation or natural revelation, so it could still you could still call it revelation because technically God created the world and so it's still yeah. revealed yeah. it through that way. But when we talk about you know natural theology, 
it's the theology that is that of God mm -hmm. uh, based on creation, right? And even here it says, uh, so, you know, without or independent from uh, real or apparent divine revelation of scripture, traditionally national theology involves weighing arguments for and against God's existence. And it, it is contrasted with revealed theology, which again is different, right? That's scripture. Uh, which may be carried out within the context of ostensible revelation of, or scripture. Uh, for example, revealed theology may take as authoritative certain New Testament claims about Jesus and then construct a philosophical or theological model for understanding how Jesus may be human or divine, right? So that would be working from revelation to the argument, whereas natural theology is working from nature, from philosophy, from science. In this case, natural theology, on the other hand, develops arguments about God based on the existence of the cosmos, the very concept of God, and different views of the nature of the cosmos, such as its ostensible order and value. Um, so yeah, I'll just stop there, but that's kind of a general overview of what natural theology is mm -hmm. and what we're going to be dealing with for the, the next couple of weeks with these arguments, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, there's so many different ways you could go with it. So many different arguments that are very interesting, and um, you know, it's uh, it's been a while, a little while since I'd studied this stuff. Like I said in my classes and stuff, but a lot of it is you know coming back to you know bringing a lot of things back to memory and like oh yeah, I remember studying this and I remember you know this was interesting, that was interesting, and all that. So it's a good refresher for me, but also learning at the same time. But the um, yeah, it's very interesting when you take the natural element of it and you kind of um, reverse engineer it, so to speak, to point back to God rather than uh, taking, you know, revelation of scripture and stuff mm -hmm. and reading. Some people would say you're reading that into creation or reading that into mm -hmm. you know, our physical world. So in this case, you're taking the physical world and pointing that backwards kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting, um, like I said, apologetics. Um, yeah. About it. And it's one of those things where the the atheistic argument of saying, oh, well, you know, Christians believe this kind of circular reasoning that, um, oh, I believe because the Bible told me so, and yeah. why do you believe? Because the Bible says so. And it's kind of like that thing. Yeah. But it, this doesn't even touch that, mm -hmm. at, like what we're doing at all, because this is, this entire series, even though, again, we're biblical brainstorm and we'll kind of show how the Bible um justify not justifies but encourages this you know and mm -hmm. talks about natural theology but this is independent from scripture right these are yeah. arguments outside based on observable in nature things uh and also again deductive arguments that mm -hmm. you know based on philosophy and our experience etc so that's um that's and the one thing that i did want to bring up from the, uh, the introduction where you talked about you know the atheists um you know are always um, mm -hmm. saying like the Christians are, you know, they're believing it because the Bible says so, and they're not really, you know, putting any, you know, effort Great into it. They're not. just kind of a blind, kind of a, you know, blind faith type thing. But mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that I read in the, the introduction that I wanted to bring up at some point, so I'll go ahead and throw it in here uh, that I thought was interesting. Um, from the introduction of the book, uh, it says theism is on the rise, atheism is on the decline. Atheism, although perhaps still the dominant viewpoint of the American university, is a philosophy in retreat. 
In a recent article in the secularist uh, journal Philo, Quentin Smith laments uh, what he calls the desecularization of academia that evolved in philosophy departments since the late 1960s. And the quote from him says, naturalists passively watched as realist versions of theism began to sweep through the philosophical community until today, perhaps one quarter or one third of philosophy professors are theists, with most being orthodox Christian. In philosophy, it became almost overnight academically respectable to argue for theism, making philosophy a favored field of entry for the most intelligent and talented theists entering academia today. And uh, he includes, God is not dead in academia. Or Smith concludes, God is not dead in academia. He returned to life in the late 60s and is now alive and well in this in his last academic stronghold, philosophy departments. So I find it interesting that you're saying it used to be um, Christians and you know believers in the academic world or if they were in the academic world mm-hmm. were kind of looked down upon. And now they're saying, well, there's now there's kind of a... Uh, we have a worthy adversary. American, yeah. <laughs> well, so it's, now it's, it's starting to make a rise. It's actually true. And what's funny is that uh, you would think culturally atheism is more on the rise. And mm-hmm. in the soft sciences, mm-hmm. uh, such as sociology, even my field of history, uh, psychology, things like you know the soft sciences or social sciences, yeah. those things, atheism is still on the rise. And so those are actually, you know, there's... Uh, there is this condemnation, not condemnation, but this, like you said, looking down upon mm-hmm. uh, people who believe in God. But what's actually funny is that the the hard sciences that, you know, those things which are the foundation of these social sciences and soft sciences, like philosophy and math um, and even to, de- you know, physics to a deal. But philosophy and math are actually there's a lot of theists yeah. in those fields um, and they said, I think somebody even said that uh, between astronomy and math, and I think it's math, has the highest percentage of theists than any of these scientific fields. That's interesting. Uh, And so, like you said, ever since, you know, even the 60s, you have this rise of of theism. Now, there is a tendency, though, of swinging the pendulum. So there were times Mm. in church history where people ignored special revelation in Scripture for this rationalism and for this idea of, you know, just, we just need natural theology. We just need creation and philosophy. Right. Uh, But there's also been a pendulum swing to the other side, which we see today in certain levels of fundamentalism in Christianity, where there's an uh, ignoring of natural theology. It's saying we don't need, uh, we just need the Bible. And I'm like, yes and no. Like we, all you really need is very, is obviously Jesus, but it's not, the only thing there as with most things it's somewhere in the middle the truth is somewhere in the middle yeah so <laughs> and actually just to show you that it's supported and encouraged in scripture and even in history um even though it's greatly ignored and you might be even surprised to, to see that oh wait like there's arguments for god's existence outside of the bible and history and it's like <laughs> yes and th- yeah. i mean two thousand years of church history yeah, like that. It's it's pretty powerful, and yet most people, even Christians today, kind of just ignore it for their own personal experience or what they read in the Bible or what the you know pastor says. And mm-hmm. and there's a, like there's two thousand years of church history of these arguments for God, and you know a lot of these more 
philosophical, scientific, theological concepts of natural theology yeah. uh, rather than just special revelation. And just to show that, the Belgic Confession, you know, and from 1561, okay. uh, you know, the big Protestant confession for those of you guys who know, um, says, we know God by two means, creation and revelation. That's what it's referring to. Mm -hmm. So it says, we know God by two means. And I agree. Yeah. You know, there, there's two ways that we know God to be, um, to be God, to be existent, right? Yeah. Through special revelation, through obviously the incarnation of Jesus, and then uh, also through God's word, through scripture. But there's also natural theology, which is what the series is devoted to. Um, the idea of God being revealed in creation. And Paul talks about this. He talks about it in Romans 1, which I'll read. He says in, in Romans 1, uh, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So people's sinful desires, mm -hmm. people living in, in wrongdoing, right? This is suppressing the truth of what is supposedly already revealed to them. And this is who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Mm. because God has shown it to them. Well, how has he shown it to them? Like, did God actually reveal himself to all people, even atheists? No. Look, what? listen. Shown it to him for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So when you look at nature... Yeah, and you observe nature through the sciences, right? Through philosophy, through observation, you will come to this conclusion of God's again attributes, God's divine um, power, and his yeah. and his majesty, and just his um, his deity. And so, even here, afterwards, uh, ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So, no, every person. Yeah. Whether they, you know, whatever they identify as, right, uh, is without excuse because God has revealed himself through nature. And so you can turn a blind eye and yeah. not see the majesty in God's creation yeah. or ignore scripture. But one way or another, through creation or revelation, God has revealed himself to all people. Um, yeah, one, of the, or, one of the greatest testaments of God is just nature, just looking at nature. Like, how could you go out into the mountains or the beach or somewhere that's just the landscape is just incredible and it not you know cause you to think <laughs> yeah it's like wow you know yeah. the creator of the cosmos is truly amazing yeah and so here in verse 21 for that although they knew god they did not honor him uh, as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened so there is a way of well Oh, I don't care about the world around me. Just care about myself. I just, what is, you know, what does this have to do with me? And the bigger questions of life people ignore. And so the, you suppress that, like you said, the unrighteousness that suppresses the truth that has been revealed to you, to you through nature and yeah. the things that have been made, Paul says. And, uh, and also there's a Logos reference I wanted to point out here uh, from those verses. And so in verse 20, deity, so in the word here, the Greek word used here, uh, theotis is found only here in the New Testament. It is used to summarize God's divine attributes, uh, especially those that have that can be observed through creation. Since God has or God made such attributes discernible, people have no excuse for rejecting Him. So, which means that 
that everything that you observe in nature points to God, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so this is, it's funny because you'll have certain Christians that are against science and observation, which, again, is against scripture because yeah. <laughs> God says, so the things that obviously God made creation in such a way that can be discernible, that can yeah. be observed. And on the other sense, you'll have, you know, atheists or skeptics or people of other religions try to, or I guess in this case, this is, you know, those who don't believe in God or a God. Right, they they want to point out this this idea of well, oh well science or what we observe it does you know shows that God doesn't exist and it's like well that's not true either yeah <laughs> you know it's like God revealed Himself through creation which means yeah. that what you observe and discern through nature points to God ultimately yeah so that and which is just amazing mm-hmm. and so it says here and for you know as a reference the doubt excuse part. The universal revelation of God's power and deity in creation means that no one can claim ignorance for failing to honor God as God. Yeah. So this is, again, to all people that live and can observe nature. Yeah. Right? And through their five senses. So not just seeing, right? The the five senses of a taste, of smell, of hearing, of feeling, of seeing, right? Yeah. Through the natural world. And then through, again, your own reasoning, right? Conscious mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Um, these things lead to to God. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. kind of hard to deny at that point because, I mean, you know, just like I said, you just look at nature and look at a beautiful landscape. You know, go out, see the mountains, go out, see the coast. And it's just, you know, how could, how could that not mm-hmm. kind of speak to you in some way? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's uh, – no, I did, I did want to – uh, bring up when it says, you know, in these fields with, um, you know, academic research, general science and, mm-hmm. you know, anthropology and all that kind of stuff. When it said that there's in this case, like you said, in math and um, what was the other one it was math and uh, philosophy, philosophy, uh, that there's more theists. Does that mean theist? Does theist mean God specifically or that they just believe that there is a God or, you know, how does yeah, that? Yeah, that they believe in a God. They believe God. Yeah. Okay, so they might not necessarily believe like Yahweh God, yeah. but they believe mm-hmm. that there is some kind of creator. That's the difference, the distinctions, and we'll make those distinctions too, the difference between Christian and theist. Yeah. So theist is someone who, okay, well, and deist, and this probably might be good to explain now. So a deist believes that there is a creator God that created the cosmos, mm-hmm. but he didn't, uh, he, he's not involved in nature, okay. right? Which is kind of, you know. Yeah. Word a little bit, and then you have theists, which are uh, God is personal, and so God revealed Himself and created, you know, created nature and revealed Himself in nature mm-hmm. to be discernible by people and can have some level of interaction with them. And then you have, um, you know, Christians who obviously believe specifically that the Creator God, the, the you know, theists who are they are theists that believe in Yahweh, right? Yeah, and Jesus Christ. Um, so that's that's Christian, and then there's other theists uh, religions like um, Islam and Judaism who believe in in God, yeah. but they wouldn't necessarily be Christians, but they would be theists. So these are argument. Most of these arguments point to theism, and maybe not specifically to Christianity, but we do have good reasons, and some of these arguments will point to Christianity as well. So in a way, it still goes to show that even you know that they're 
even though they don't they still choose not to believe god they still can't deny that there was something that created it and that it's there you know for reasons too complex to have just kind of showed up kind of thing so i mean that's part of the you know the nature um pointing back to god and being you know revelation of god but it also shows kind of the hardness of humanity to not accept god they yeah. believe that there was somebody that did it but they just for whatever reason they just never want to accept that it was god that did it yeah the, and there's, yeah. there's the, the explanation growing belief that it was aliens but <laughs> but then where do they come know, from like yeah where do they come from yeah <laughs> we'll have to you know it's part of the the cosmological argument yeah of, yeah. like the yeah. origin of, talk about of things um so that'll be next week cosmological arguments but that's uh, that's always fun. Okay. But even it, and this isn't just something that Paul brings up, but this is something David also brings up in uh, Psalms 19. Okay. Psalms 19, verse 1 through 6 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, just for clear already. Uh, All right. and, the, and the sky <laughs> above proclaims his handiwork, just like what you were getting at. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Mm. So... Again, God has revealed himself through creation, through nature. Right? This yeah. is what Paul is even referencing. It's clear, right? So when we do science, when we do observation, when we look at the world around us, when we do philosophy and science, these things, the evidence uh, thereof, point to God and yeah. uh, his handiwork, his existence, right? So uh, last one, the scripture reference I wanted to bring up too is in Acts 17. Okay. Uh, which is Paul, funny enough, arguing with secular philosophers of his day. I mean, she pagan too. To. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pagan and secular philosophers in Athens. So he's in Athens, which is like the crown jewel of philosophy the in hub. the ancient world. The, the hub. Yeah. The hub of, of that's philosophy. Pretty, it's pretty cool to think that Paul was like right in the thick of it with the best of them at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so... Here, Paul goes... Uh, now, imagine to, if Paul would have been able to have talked or argued with Plato or Aristotle or Socrates, any of those guys. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's funny. In a way, he is because um, their ideas are what he's also arguing with or using because, uh, you know, Plato and Aristotle precede Paul. And so, mm -hmm. basically, you, they've had a few hundred years to kind of uh, formulate their ideas. Yeah. And so, you know, it says here he uh, he conversed with uh, and some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Uh, and so <laughs> it's just uh, it's just interesting yeah. that he's he's just here with those philosophers who yeah. are already dealing with these ideas of, you know, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato uh, hundreds of years before. Yeah. And they're hashing out the, you know, back and forth and Paul's arguing with them. Yeah, and which again is also biblical because some people think I've heard people say, "Oh, you can't uh, you can't argue somebody into uh, into belief in God." Well, Paul Paul seemed to do it. <laughs> there's different methods to you know different people to 
you know, witness to different people. So some people it's, you know, logical argument. Yeah. I would say a lot of people, especially very, um, not lay people, but more common people like blue collar that, that just have very practical living. They care more about, again, practical things. Yeah. Like how does this affect my life? Yeah. And so arguments that are, I mean, arguments may not get very far for them, right? Yeah. They, they just <laughs> just think, well, uh, does God care about me? And if he does, then, you know, my yeah. life and, and more uh, experience driven uh, things or um, love, just showing simple kindness and love, uh, which should accompany all of, all of this anyway, um, yeah. will maybe lead some people to Christ. But uh, for those few people, uh, you know, that are very just analytically, intellectually mi minded people, uh, there, there are those who are persuaded by evidence, facts, and arguments. Yeah. And uh, so if, th if that's you or uh, if, uh, anybody that you're connected with, uh, if that's them, they fall into that category, then the next two months when we go through this natural theology series will be really beneficial to you. Yeah. And for those who may be more, I guess, emotionally driven, and that's not a negative way, and that's yeah. not not that's not saying anything it's with just, negative connotation. There's people that are, are more emotionally or practically driven than intellectually mm -hmm. driven. Uh, that's not maybe going to be a big benefit to you, but hopefully you still find some still these, learn. Yeah, yeah, that these things are reason. You know, our faith is reasonable, not just experience and revelation driven, right? Yeah. Um, and so Paul, I wanted to to go here in Acts 17, 26. And so, again, he's arguing with these philosophers. He says, and he made, uh, and God, you know, Paul is saying this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries. And so also, you know, when it talks about the man, most, you know, a lot of people think it's Noah because it's in a reference to the nations mm -hmm. established, not necessarily the people within. Um, gotcha. But, you know, just wanted to point that out. Um, so having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, and they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not, he's actually not far from each one of us. Yeah. For in him, we live and move and have our being, Paul quotes. And then, and Paul says, as even some of your own poets have said, yeah, for we are indeed his offspring. Often, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he, has com he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this... Uh, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So then he basically goes from all the from there all the way to the resurrection, you know, yeah. uh, which is pretty pretty crazy. But you see this progression where it's like this again philosophically um, argument because and he and he goes I uh, skipped over a lot of this, but you, you know if you wanted to read all the way starting from verse sixteen. Paul dealing with them and uh, the Athenians that were there and his kind of back and forth with. Uh, the religious there and the philosophers there. Yeah. Um, but we just have an instance here, which is pretty cool in the Bible uh, of Paul, again, giving arguments for Christianity and for God. Um, mm -hmm. And then even against revealing natural theology in this verse, that God has all people placed God, every person and every nation 
so that even people on the other side of the world who have almost no access to uh, the gospel, he says, even them uh, that God allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So God yeah. isn't far from anybody on this earth, Paul says, because again, they can perceive these things. And as he says in Romans 1, God has revealed himself in creation. So if yeah. you really stop to think and you're not suppressing that through your own unrighteousness, you can, uh, It's again, it's been revealed yeah. to you through nature as well. So it's not... Uh, it's both ends. It's not one or yeah. the other. It's not you know natural theology or revelation. It's both ends. And I guess you could say with that, um, you know, where just the the nature will God will reveal Himself through nature, and it's just it kind of points to God, and it, God's just in it, and you'll you just see it, and you can you feel it, and you know it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That could be, um, you know, I mean, it, even with other people that believe other religions with other gods and stuff, like obviously, you know, that creation or that. Um, drive or instinct is so strong that they know something created it. They just don't always choose the right thing to believe. Yeah. So they know, you know, something created this and whoever created it was, you know, great. He's God, you know, he's a, it's some great being kind of like we were saying with the theist. It's just some of them, you know, don't believe the right God. They just, the, the, the feeling, the inspiration is so strong there that they're like, we have to worship something. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, it's you can you can see it's there. It's just you know showing people who the right, um, the right deity, deity worship is. is. Yeah, yeah. And even uh, on page sixteen, this is the first chapter again from the book that we're we're going through. Um, and so there's this uh, tendency, you know, and atheist philosophers have tried to combat this and say, well, you know, it's just trying to put God in the equation is just incoherent. It's, it's not useful and all that stuff. And basically most of chapter one is kind of dealing uh, with counter arguments to kind of atheist philosophers saying that there is no point of natural theology. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so here's one, you know, with this argument, uh, you know, there, this is by an atheist. There is no logical space for theism. According to DZ Phillips, theism can be faulted for its positioning positing a reality that is independent of the structure of the world uh he not only so this essentially is is materialism this is naturalism so the point here in this argument and which we'll have to deal with is that some people have this kind of epistemology or epistemological framework and that's just again a very fancy way of of saying (laughs) somebody's outlook on life somebody's worldview right they're the framework right in which they interpret everything in, in they observe because you can easy, you can just say oh well it, it, you can observe right observe yeah. everything but what's funny is everybody observes very differently based on their interpretive framework right yeah. and so some people their interpretive framework is based on materialism which uh basically says well there is nothing more than what i can observe through the five senses let's just get rid of reasoning and philosophy and and the deeper inference from what we observe, just what we observe without any greater inference is, is all we need, right? It's just a very practical thing. It's like uh, what I, all that exists is what I can observe. Well, which is kind of prideful, uh, but it's yeah. also kind of circular reasoning. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, uh, if you can't you know, see it, then it don't th- exist. This world is all that there is just because that's all that I can 
see yeah. and feel and touch. So it's like that's pretty prideful statement, you know, yeah. or assumption. There's a hidden assumption there that close-minded um, even. Again, yeah, that all that I observe is uh, therefore all that exists, and which kind of posits yourself as, you know, your consciousness is somehow superior to being able to observe all that actually exists. So you basically what you're saying is all that I observe is all that exists. Therefore I have the capacity to observe all that exists. I mean, that is just yeah. quite a, quite a jump there. It's a bold statement. assumption there. A bold <laughs> assumption. But that's what, again, atheism or materialism or naturalism is also called um, is essentially, it's basically the belief that this world, this universe, that's all there is. The physical world, the natural world is all that there is, is what, materialism would would posit and so even philosophers will say well how why would you even infer to something outside of this natural world when again this natural world is all that i can see yeah um now one obviously this whole chapter will deal with deals with a lot of those counter arguments and obviously from consciousness itself which is can't be reduced to simply material means uh, which is another big one but um what it kind of mentions here and also what I want to point out is the circular reasoning behind uh, this in materialism. And so I wanted to point out here from this image. So we went through those two. Um, so one, I just, what circular reasoning is from in general is uh, this diagram here. So if, if A then B, uh, if B then A, right? So that's circular reasoning in a nutshell, just uh, from a diagram, right? The way you can see. Nice. Simple. Simple. And so, you know, I like this atheist circular reasoning, uh, which will say, well, God doesn't exist because uh, there is no evidence for God, because any evidence for God is an evidence uh, because God doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like you see round yeah. and round this goes. So this is the, in a way, an atheistic circular reasoning, because if you're a materialist that says, well, this world is all that there is. Mm. Um then again, you're you're saying that that's an assumption. Like it's circular mm -hmm. reasoning because you're saying the only reason this world is all there is that because this world is all that there is <laughs> because it's yeah. all I observed. Therefore, that's all that exists. So th there's a hidden assumption there. Yeah. Um, now, how do you know that things outside of what you can observe exist or don't exist? And that's that's what is failed to be explained by atheism. Now. Yeah. Um, there are things that, like I said, in nature that we observe that are still, uh, can be observed that, that can just be reduced to the physical world, things like consciousness, right? Um, and then things that we observe in nature that are just, you know, um, impossible without God, right? And so part of that evidence as well. And they're actually Alvin Plantiga, he's a famous Christian philosopher. And uh, he has an evolutionary argument against atheism, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Because if you take uh, evolution acting on random, you know, and natural selection, random mu mutation, over time, and that, that this world is all there is, right? It actually destroys reasoning itself. And so part of this diagram is, is kind of a summation of that, which is somebody making the statement like this that I believe naturalism is true that this world is all there is the material world is all there is uh what's funny enough that they'll simultaneously also say well i'm a product of evolutionary naturalism alone so there is no outside force no god no nothing right mm. that 
that I don't have a soul, they'll say, and they'll they'll say something like this: "I am a product of evolutionary nationalism." Uh, what's funny is, therefore, uh, and you know, they have to admit my beliefs are programmed into me to help me survive because beliefs aren't, uh, you know, true or not true according to naturalism. It's based on pragmatism. It's based mm. on well, it's helped me to survive, therefore I believe it. And mm. so, this is actually an argument I've seen for for uh, religion itself based on atheists okay. they'll say well religion is is uh, a survival mechanism and they'll they'll say uh and therefore it's you know it's beneficial to believe certain things to mm. help you survive but what's funny is there it, it's it's funny be, again goes back to the bright thing because an atheist will say this that beliefs are programmed to help me survive through uh you know naturalism through evolutionary means but yet they don't check their own belief on naturalism. Yeah. So if you if you beliefs are programmed inside of you to help you survive, and you say I believe naturalism is true, then mm. that belief is a pre-programmed belief to help you survive. And Karl Marx would say that uh, religion is the opium of the people, saying it's more of like a coping mechanism kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that is you know doesn't help either. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sigmund Freud said something similar that it was just kind of like uh, a you know to have a father figure you know daddy figure kind of thing to have uh, for comfort right yeah uh, but what's funny is that uh, the concept of hell kind of uh, kind of just un undermines both of their <laughs> both of their uh, assumptions because yeah. Christianity because somebody like somebody like Sigmund Freud and Marx they said oh well, Christianity is just a coping mechanism to help ease the pain of the world. Well, it's like, well, then how do you explain hell, the belief of hell? Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's all flowers and rainbows and, yeah. uh, you know, That's all true. That, That's a good point. I never thought of that. If it's the opium of the masses, as this comment even says, you know, the opium of the masses, as Karl Marx would say, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, if it's the opium of the masses, then th things like the that in theology that are so painful to comprehend things like hell mm -hmm. um it just completely contradicts the, the statement yes yeah. how can you because i've also seen on the other side people also argue that oh re, uh, religion or christianity is a religion of fear it's a uh, it's to instill fear to control yeah well, well which is it is it a religion of fear <laughs> or a religion of comfort yeah yeah there's uh i think they're kind of it's, it's making too, a it's kind of making this uh, rounds in the psychology or um, uh, what's the word therapist circle or whatever, but they're talking about, um, I can't remember the term for it, but it's like a post-traumatic stress syndrome for people that grew up in religious households. And yeah, a lot I've of it that. to say comes from a belief in hell and it scares kids and then they're traumatized for the rest of their life. <laughs> Which I mean, is, depending depending on what environment you grow up in, I think it's possible. But I mean, it's yeah, um, we're not denying aspects of that. But yeah. the the point is that the claim of the truth of Christianity itself has no bearing on how it's used. Yeah. Uh, or I mean, the other way around, like how or, Christianity is used doesn't really have any bearing on the actual truth of christianity itself oh. it's like somebody can use science wrong to make an atomic bomb and kill people right <laughs> uh but that that you wouldn't therefore include conclude that science itself is wrong or science itself is false or yeah. not true right that that would just be that would just be projecting from your personal experience to the truth of the claims itself which you know gotcha. and, and and going back to what we were talking about there 
with, well, is it a religion of comfort or is it a religion of fear? Uh, let's go back to what I just talked about, the laws of logic here, of thought. Law of non-contradiction. Nothing can both be and not be. And everything <laughs> must be and not be. The third one, the law of excluded middle. So you can't have a contradictory statement. Yeah. Like That's that. pretty good. Yeah. And, and so part of this, again, you, we're now analyzing claims of, of I guess, skeptics here um, against Christianity to say, well, somebody like Karl Marx would say, opium, you know, religion is the opium of the masses. And then somebody like what you were talking about there with, oh, it, religion is uh, fear it's like well that would be a contradictory assertion yeah. um, and therefore we can dismiss it as contradictory um, but this belief or this uh, idea here from uh, Alvin Plantinga the evolutionary argument against naturalism that if if you if your brain and beliefs therefore are are the product of simply material um, Things, you know, chemical mutations, cellular, uh, you know, mutations. Um, just, it's, you're just dancing to your DNA, per se. We're just robots, right? Yeah. Um, if that's the case, then you're, how do you know that your own beliefs are true? Because yeah. your beliefs, therefore, <laughs> are pre-programmed to help you survive. Uh, so how do you know that naturalism, you can't, act, so the thing is here, you can't actually justify the claim that naturalism is true based on naturalism. Hmm. That you would yeah. need you would need an independent source, like you would need to to affirm that your consciousness and your conscious experience is capable of understanding truth and non-truth. Yeah. Even though you're you're saying your own consciousness is a byproduct of evolutionary naturalism. Yeah. It's kind of like with ethics and stuff. It just kind of goes in circles and really doesn't have a um, baseline or a you know framework. For what to believe it's like if, if you don't have a third party uh in this case god you know setting the boundary saying this is right this is wrong like it just goes in circles and goes nowhere <laughs> yeah and what's so. funny is the skeptics who claim that christianity is based on uh, circular reasoning well here you go so <laughs> skeptics your own nat natural you know materialism is very circular. Of, uh, it's very circular. It's false assumption, but you you have your own. And again, going going back to this one, right? So God doesn't exist because there is no evidence for God. That I've heard that said. But then when you present evidence, so like what we're gonna do the next couple of weeks is present evidence for God's existence, and then they'll say, well, evidence for God isn't evidence. Why isn't it evidence? Because they assume materialism, which means that any evidence outside of what they can touch, feel, see, or hear, mm. is therefore not evidence. Which, yeah. in that case, the it's only... It's not evidence thing, because I don't want it to be evidence. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's again, it's circular reasoning. And some atheists, again, have tried to get around this circular reasoning and the naturalistic argument uh, by trying to, again, shift the burden of proof, which I love memes, and it's a good meme. <laughs> so, and for those who are listening and not watching... Um, it, the images of a dog that's, you know, with the, with the description, lack, lack theists, right? Uh, and somebody's hand over the dog, uh, which the hand is the burden of proof. And so the dog is dodging the hand. The lack theists are trying to dodge the burden of proof. And so this is essentially what some atheists will do that, uh, is that, well, to shift, to shift the burden of proof, 
they won't say that God doesn't exist, right? They won't say that atheist, like an atheist of like God does not exist. They they won't af- affirm that statement. They want to change the definition of atheism to simply mean a lack of belief in God, uh, like no more than like a rock. So in that case, a rock is an atheist because a rock doesn't uh, have an active belief that God does exist. Mm. And so, you know, According to some atheists, rocks are atheists, which is... But I mean, the Bible does say, you know, that the rocks in nature does, you know, in essence... Yeah, would cry out, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Creation reveals God's handiwork. They worship, it's in worship together, which is funny because, yeah, it's it's lack theists. Rocks are actually Christian, don't you know? (laughs) (laughs) But they want to push the burden to say, okay, well, hold up, hold up. They'll say... We there, there is no evidence for God, and then when you present evidence for God, well, it says that doesn't actually prove anything to me, uh, because I can't again see, touch, feel, or I can't observe it through the five senses. So again, it's that kind of pride statement of all that I observe is therefore all that exists, and then again, that's based on circular reasoning. Mm-hmm. So what a lack theist will say, well, I won't actually have the burden of proof to say God doesn't exist. And because that's a big burden of proof. How can you say that God does not exist if you don't have access to all of reality? Mm-hmm. How can you actually rule out a God if you don't have access to to God, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, what is this? Chandler, stick to the PowerPoint slides, please. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like the memes. <laughs> memes. Memes are great. I love memes. Um, but... This, this is, again, a, a sort of way of shifting the burden of proof to say, well, I just simply lack a belief in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if I lack a belief in God, then I don't have the burden of proof of actually saying God does not exist. Uh, and it's just this perpetual cycle of given evidence for God, they just can simply ignore because they can't observe it through uh, nature or the scientific method. Which, again, the scientific method is for the natural world. How can you use the scientific method um, again, that's it. That's different than philosophical evidence, right? Mm-hmm. So the arguments for God's existence, like again, uh, the underlying foundation for the inductive method, scientific method, which is specifically for repeated experimentation on natural, on physical things. And so, if you can't physically observe something, mm-hmm. um, then it's not accessed by the scientific method. But Again, there's the jump and assumption there by skeptics that will say, well, all that exists is that which can be accessed by the scientific method, right? Uh, so again, it's, it's just circular reasoning, um, but it's just, I, I find this meme funny because yeah. the bird, you know, like theists try to avoid the burden of proof. Um, That's a good template. Yeah. Whoops. All right. So, all right, I'm done with the pictures for now. Uh <laughs> I'll just no, uh, no more pop-ups. You know, it's no funny. Uh, modern memes are or memes are pretty much the modern equivalent of the funny papers and newspapers back in the day. Yeah, you know. So, what? If, so if you watch like Three Stooges or any black and white uh, movies or anything like that, where they're reading the funny papers and laughing and stuff, they were just looking at memes at their in their time. <laughs> I, never, I never thought of that, but you know what? And old comics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean that makes sense. Just. With the internet memes, just where it was the perfect medium for, yeah, for uh, satire and jokes sat- and yeah, you know that kind of stuff. 
it's uh, it's taking a taking a rise here. Um, so that's basically uh, what I wanted to intro uh, mostly, and then kind of give you guys some scope of where we're going after this. And so yeah. the next two months, really, we're going to be covering. I don't know if you can hear me, Chandler, but I've lost you on my end. <laughs> These arguments. All right, so Chandler's working out the technical difficulties there. Um, that's on his end. Uh, there he is. All righty. How long was I gone? <laughs> uh, a couple minutes. Not too bad. Okay. <laughs> so I think it might be a second before it gets back to everybody else, but I think we're good. So. Okay. I didn't hear what you said, but good point. <laughs> I hey, agree. I don't know how that even happened. I guess I had too many things running with notes and oh, could be, pictures yeah. and the stream and everything so i don't know that's i know if i try to open uh, i know i run like our stream and everything through firefox but if i try to open something in safari or just open another window to look up something i tend to start glitching out <laughs> so it might be time for a new computer yeah well hey if anybody wants to no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> if you want to give me a new uh mac yeah, well, you know. <clears throat> I guess this is a good argument for PC over Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Why PC? Well, because this is the Mac that crashed, and my PC next to me is fine. <laughs> is the PC newer, though? Yeah. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, so if, I guess if everybody it's a computer that works, then it's good. Back. All right. Cool. Well, we're back. So, what was the last thing you heard me say? What? Uh, it was the. Um, it was like right after we had just split to become the off the PowerPoint, and we were talking about memes, and then you were starting to go into something. And then oh, the scope, yeah. I was gonna say the scope of um, where we're going, right? Oh yeah, okay. With uh, the next couple weeks, so That's next week, next week we're gonna go over the cosmological arguments for God's existence, and so the reason why I say arguments plural is because there's multiple. So there's actually category. Yeah, there's actually over a hundred that I that I really? know of uh, arguments for God's existence. Um, 
But in the cosmological argument, or in no, just in general. Oh, okay. But we are we're it's definitely not going to cover close to any of that number. Um, yeah. But there are some arguments that will be grouped together in these coming weeks, and so the cosmological arguments, some of these of like include the Kalam cosmological arguments, the uh, contingency argument, etc. So there's the there's those, which we'll cover next week. Then we'll you know at some point we'll cover the teleological arguments. Those things are within uh, more of the scientific based arguments, um, you know, with mm-hmm. things like. Big Bang evolution creation that you observe inductively, right? Gotcha. And what you can infer that you know intelligent design things. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things there that uh, people point to in the teleological arguments, the things that are made, right, mm-hmm. by God. And then the moral arguments and arguments from evil. Those will be fun. Um, that's a big one for a lot of people. That uh, seems to be the most popular arguments, yeah. things on morality and ethics and evil. Um, so that we'll have to we'll tackle that, mm-hmm. and then we'll cover the ontological arguments and arguments from reason and mind, things like that. Uh, th- those are exciting. Those are the most probably complex arguments, yeah. things from consciousness. <laughs> and, um, so and, the yeah. cosmological argument for next week, um, for those that may not be familiar with the term. Does this actually have anything to do with cosmos and like space and planets? Uh, yes, it's the origin of okay, like the arguments for the origin of the cosmos, right? So just things, the universe. Things like, uh, and I'll give you kind of a brief uh, preview version of the Kalam cosmological argument. Okay, uh, that's one specific of the co- the cosmological arguments family, uh, which is essentially goes like everything that begins to exist has a cause. Uh, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And yeah. uh, then you, by kind of an analysis of what that cause could be um, that's coherent, then you kind of arrive at, at deism or theism. Gotcha. So that there's that's one essential, uh, you know, part of the, the cosmological arguments. But it, yeah, it has to gotcha. do with the origin of the cosmos, the origin of matter, the origin of everything. Um, those arguments and that's what i was thinking i just wanted to make sure you know for people that may not be familiar they had an idea of what that actually means (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and then we'll explain the terms when we get to it like what's what in the world is teleological and and ontological (laughs) it goes back to mostly like latin root words or greek root words and that kind of thing and it just it means you know it's it's a simple explanations it just sounds daunting at first (laughs) yeah like medical terms man that's why i will never be a medical major or like when you get into animals and they're all like Latin names with like fifteen stuff. letters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and then some animals have the most simple dumb names that yeah. you know. <laughs> they weren't original. <laughs> um but then yeah, so we'll go from cosmological arguments to teleological, we'll work our way to the moral arguments and arguments from evil, going from there to the ontological arguments, ones from consciousness and mind, etc. Mm-hmm. And then we'll make our way to the miracles, uh, you know, arguments for miracles and religious experience. Uh, those are always fun. And, you know, I've, I've experienced that myself. So that'd be a cool, like, testimony time as well. Yeah. Uh, and then arguments from prophecy and scripture. So this will be where we're kind of going back to um, b- back to scripture and biblical brainstorm, right? Where we're going to arguments from fulfilled prophecy, which is an interesting one. Uh, and then we may find ourselves doing something on the resurrection of Jesus, even though we touched on some of that 
uh, when we started the podcast around yeah. Eastern stuff, probably more of like an apologetics, natural theology based approach. Might do some stuff on Jesus uh, resurrection. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. our scope for that. And then uh, we'll, you know, I, before long, yeah. we'll make our way to Genesis in September, October after this series, but I'm really excited for this natural theology series of yeah. just tackling the arguments for God's existence. I know so, that was one of the first ones that you had brought up and talked about that you had wanted to do and that you were excited about. So, you know, it's always more fun to discuss when you're excited about it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And by, and this is, uh, you know, and I wanted to do it um, as well, just because they're beneficial to people and a lot of people yeah. don't know about them. And even though this is more of a, a weaker area mm-hmm. uh, for me and Seth, you know, we're not scientists, we're not philosophers. <laughs> we don't pretend yeah. to be. And so yeah. we, you know, we give that disclaimer, but just from I made a minor in philosophy in my bachelor's, but at the moment, like you said, I am not a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but honestly, these arguments from what we have seen have been, you know, beneficial yeah. Uh, and so, and we've seen the counter arguments and we've seen, again, the reply to the counter arguments. And so a lot of them are, again, it's, it's just evidence for the faith, which are yeah. pretty, um, pretty great. Trying, trying to arm the people with knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Like Peter, um, encourages us to do. Yeah. So, you know, give a defense, I mean, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have in you, right? To yeah. your faith. So this, this is the thing with this is, I mean, me and Chandler are in essence, um, working towards making a career out of studying this stuff academically. Not and, science you know, and philosophy, but this well, will yeah. be like our weekend <laughs> well, more, field. Yeah. But, history, but, it's, yeah. but more like but in theology in general and history and, you know, how they converge and all that kind of stuff is more what we're planning to, you know, further in our life and career and studies and that kind of thing. And we know a lot of people don't either have the time or maybe the interest or just they, not everyone can do that. So we want to, with lots of other people, we want to make the academic uh, research and the resources and the knowledge available to, you know, just, you know, everyday Christians that might not have the opportunity to get the higher education at school or read the multitudes of books or (laughs) things like that. So try to boil it down and make it attainable for you guys to uh, learn it. Cause I mean, another thing is a lot of churches can't necessarily preach this stuff not because it's bad, but it's just, you know, it's not practical yeah. for pastors to preach. I have this. never heard a <laughs> sermon on natural yeah. theology. And like that's this. why there's, and that's I've never why heard a sermon on any of these arguments. Yeah. And that's why there's the different gifts. Like preachers are, you know, it's more about practical Christianity, mere Christianity, practical living. Cause you never know who's going to come to church on a Sunday. You don't know what their background is. They may be hearing about Christianity for the first time. I have heard and, moral arguments or variations of it during sermons, yeah. but I haven't heard the other one. You know, sometimes you'll hear it, but it's the the biggest part of a pastor is to be you know a practical spiritual leader for people and to you know throw in you know Bible studies you know throughout the week and whatnot. But you know his main job, you know, he can't afford to get too deep into stuff because he's got to stick with practical life application for the most part to help people live their lives. And Unless then, he's counseling i mean i guess you're shepherding so if you're somebody struggling it's good to be have have the ammunition speaking of history though you see right here i got this board game civilization oh okay all of that that was uh uh, it was my birthday this past friday and happy belated Uh, birthday yeah so thank you guys for wishing me happy birthday (laughs) if you did on on facebook and stuff um 
for the on the on the podcast thing. So thank you. But yeah, it was uh, that was one of my gifts. I got Civilization. I nice. love. I've never heard of that one. I've heard of Risk, but it's a strategy game. It's pretty okay. Cool. Well, I mean, I played the the game, but yeah, it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, but that that basically concludes uh, where we're going. A good kickstart introduction to uh, to where we're going to be the next couple of weeks. And so, if you guys have questions or um, want us to talk about something specific, just let us you know within those arguments. Let us know, or uh, if there's you know uh, something related to natural theology that mm-hmm. is you know a, something that you have come across that you think would be beneficial for everybody else. Uh, you know, send it to us as well. And uh, yeah, we would love to interact with that. And yeah, we know we got this series planned. We got a Genesis series planned, but also, um, I mean, you guys are the listeners, so let us know of any other ideas or give us any other ideas of things you guys might want to, you know, mm-hmm. here's teach on issues or concepts that are interesting to interesting to y'all. So, I mean, we have lots of things that we'd like to teach on, but we want to know uh, how we can help you guys in whatever way we can. And we felt that, um, you know, this natural theology series is a good way to start. You know, we did a series on the Apocrypha and what the Bible is and uh, kind of starting from the ground up kind of thing. And then, you know, with Genesis, right, starting right at the beginning, beginning and going through it. So, you know, we felt like those were a couple good plays or good areas to start. But after that, I mean, we're going to be going as long as we're able. So, you know, let us know what you guys are interested in. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that. And uh, I loved the first comment. And so, uh, yes, kick off this the podcast in the name of the father son and holy ghost and that's that's a good way to begin and end right here yeah. with, uh, with that kind of uh you know in everything that we do mm-hmm. we uh, we want to do by uh by god's power and grace mm-hmm. and uh, his will and so that's uh even though this is more again natural theology this is less bible heavy we still want to again mm-hmm. point point everything back to jesus and uh and his word yeah. Uh, that he's given us. So I'm excited where we're going and next week. Yeah. Cosmological arguments. Um, any any last uh, words, Seth, for uh, for getting uh, on here? Other than uh, you know the stuff we've been you know we just said before, you know what we're where we're going and all that. Um, you know I'm excited for it. I think it'll be good. It'll be not only you know helpful for me to grow, but also to help you guys grow. So we're learning all together at the same time, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I think it'll be good. Looking forward to it. And, um, you know, again, as always, you know, check it. If you have, haven't already, you know, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, uh, subscribe and listen on Spotify. Uh, even though we go live and everything is kind of um, more centered around a live recording, we do record it. So um, so don't hesitate to listen on Spotify if you miss a, a, a live session. Um so yeah, you can definitely check us out on there after the fact. But uh, other than that, you know, love you guys. Um, do you want to read the Doxology Chandler, or should I read it? Uh, you can read it if you got it. All right, I'll grab my I'll grab my bibble, <laughs> and uh, let's see here. You know, I probably should just leave it marked. <laughs> it's hard to find Jude sometimes because it's so short. It's like you flip a few pages <laughs> and you're in another book. Yeah. All right. You have any last words before I read? Nope. Well, that's Alrighty. a good way to end it. Alrighty. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.
Amen. Amen. See you guys next week. Love you guys.